I invite you to look with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to finish up, Lord willing, this chapter today. This is a third part of a description here, a symbolic picture that's uh, given to us of what Christ's seed, that uh, is the redeemed blood-bought church, can expect from the enmity of the serpent, Satan. That's really what this is all about. It's put in symbolic language. You know, there's even uh, in uh, literature genre, uh, literature that's called apocalyptic literature. And you automatically understand by that title that what you're reading is symbolic language. It's figurative. Uh, there, are, there are symbols, there are metaphors put forth that represent other things. And you can really get yourself confused if you try to understand them in a literal manner. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that these things aren't true. A lot of people get upset. You say, well, you're saying the Bible's not literal? Well, <laughs> there's an awful lot of figurative language used in Scripture to describe what is true. But uh, this isn't about dragons and, and uh, horsemen and all these things that people conjure up in movies. Uh, you know, locusts that are have these massive wings like you see in sci-fi and all of this sort of stuff. There's a there's a there's a there's a a meaning to it, and again, we're not left just to guess the meaning. I hope you see that as we go through the scriptures. Uh, we we go to the scriptures and we compare scripture with scripture to understand what these things mean, and that's where God's given us this word as His key. So I'd encourage you in this kind of study, and I, I I'm encouraged just talking with a number of you that have said the book of Revelation is an open book. <laughs> it used to be so closed, and now we're seeing okay, these are it's just presenting it from a different way, but it's all about Christ. It's all about His people. It's all about how He has saved them and is keeping them and and will bring them into glory based upon that work that he has accomplished. That's exactly right. If the Lord has given you that understanding, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy it. We can read these things. So let's read here in uh, chapter 12, Revelation 12 and verses 13 through 17. It says, And when the dragon saw, and here's a good example, right? We're seeing this word dragon. We're not, we're not to imagine a literal dragon here, but it's representative of, of whom? Well, go back up to verse 9. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. Again, it's symbolic, it's representative. When you could say, and when Satan or the devil saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, I like this, into her place. There's an appointed place of refuge for the Lord's people. All right? Where, where she is nourished, and here we see this, this terminology again, for a time 
and times and a half time from the face of the of the serpent. All right. Now again, I would remind you that time times and a half time. We're going to go review it again. Go back to Daniel here in a little bit, but it refers to that period of time from Christ coming the first time and laying down his life on the cross all the way until when he comes the second time. It's symbolic language to describe this period. So we understand that God's going to take care of his church, even against the worst affliction. You think about that. The worst that Satan can throw at the church, God's going to nourish it and keep it. Why? Because it's Christ's church. It's Christ's church. There's one thing about this body. You can cut off limbs and, and members and, and stab, but unless the head, as long as that head remains attached, as long as there's life flowing through the brain, you know, and people try to describe what, what death is, but when the head goes, it's all gone. As long as that head is in glory, where he's seated, who's the head? Christ. There's not a thing that Satan can do to the body. That's, that's what we see here. And the serpent... Again, Satan cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. We're going to study that in a little bit too, what that means. But it says here, And the dragon was wroth, angered with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. We just read about the remnant, didn't we? In, in Romans chapter 9. A remnant of grace. Which keep the commandments of God. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And again, that word and there in the original can be translated even. So if you wonder what it is for them to keep the commandments of God. It's not sending you back to the law. Those commandments of God pertain to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even the testimony of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. The commandment is to look to him, believe on him, even as Brother David finished reading. They'll not be ashamed who believe on him. All right? Believe the Son. Believe the record God is given of the Son. So I believe it's important, and that's why I've entitled... Uh, this message, message, the woman's seed and the old serpent. The woman's seed and the old serpent. You know, it's important to read and study every portion of Scripture in light of what the rest of Scripture teaches. Now, when I tell you that title, the woman's seed and the old serpent, it ought to automatically make you think of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. What we're having here is the unfolding. This is the beauty of the unity of the Bible. The unfolding of what God said all the way back there in the fall. Look at it with me. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And this is why we stick with Scripture. Because you get away from what the Scripture says and, and you come up with all kinds of interpretations. You know how some will interpret reading here in, in Revelation 12 where it starts that there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun? Well, you've heard the term, haven't you? Mary, the mother of God, the queen of heaven. You say, where do they get that? That's how they read uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. 
They say that can't be anybody else but Mary. Well, let's go back here and see. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God talked about a woman all the way back here in the garden. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. See, there's two seeds, aren't there? It shall bruise thy head. That is the seed of the woman. That, that one that would come from the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Well, we're seeing that in Revelation. <laughs> And, but and it says, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's all it can do. Now, which is more, which is more uh, faithful, mortal? A wound to the head or a wound to the heel? You can survive a wound to the heel, but not a wound to the head. And what it's saying is that Christ has dealt a death blow to Satan, the serpent seed. It continues to try to wound uh, Christ's seed, but all it is is a heel wound. <laughs> it's a wound that uh, it, it, it's not fatal. It'll hurt. I'll guarantee it'll hurt. If you've ever been, been bitten by a scorpion or a snake on the, on the heel or the foot, I mean, it, that thing swells up. It, it hurts, but uh, it, won't, it won't kill you. But a wound to the head, it'll kill so what we're seeing here is the victory of the woman's seed, coming back to Revelation chapter 12, over the serpent. That's what's set forth here. I told you to come back to Revelation 12. Hold your hand there and just look at another passage here in Galatians chapter 4. I'm just showing you some of the language of Scripture about this woman. Galatians 4 and verse 4. And when... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here because there's some that's, that say, well, we, should, we really ought not to be arguing about when the sinners are justified. We really ought not to be arguing about when sin was put away, just that it was. Now, wait a minute. Scripture uses the word when. So we better deal with Scripture. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law. You see in Revelation 12 when it's talking about the man-child being born of this woman that's seated in, in heaven, it's showing the fulfillment of Scripture. It's showing the fulfillment of what was prophesied thousands of years ago back there in Genesis 3 and verse 15. This child brought forth who would be the salvation of a particular people that remnant of grace. And even as the, the child was spared and caught up into glory, even though the child's people continue on this earth, they continue preserved. They continue preserved. There's no way that Satan can undo what God has purposed to do and accomplished in his son. And we see what, why he came. He was made of a woman, made under the law. Why that? Because the law had to be satisfied. Law and justice had to be satisfied. It wasn't enough just for God to say, I choose this people. Justice had to be satisfied. Their debt had to be paid. So made under a woman, uh, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem that were under the law. And I love the way Brother David going through Romans keeps coming back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. You cannot separate redemption and justification. 
When was justification accomplished? When Christ redeemed his people. Being justified, having been justified, is another way of reading that, through the redemption. There's no delay between redemption and justification. When was it accomplished? When Christ died. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's an interesting point as well. When were we officially adopted as sons? Not when we were regenerated, but when Christ died. That we might receive it, that it might be official, that it might be established that indeed these are the sons of God based upon a just satisfaction. I've got two adopted children, and even before they came into our home, they were ours. Why? because it was settled before a judge. You can go and look at their birth certificates. The names on their birth certificates are myself and Mary as the father and mother. That's who we are. It, there's been a satisfaction. An adoption has been settled based on a just satisfaction. No one can take it away. No one can take it away. It's legal. That's, what it, that's, that's a beautiful picture of Christ. <laughs> And what he's accomplished for, it's not when we see him that all of a sudden now we're, we're adopted. No, it's been settled through the payment that the Lord Jesus Christ made on behalf of, of his, uh, his own. And it says, because ye are sons. Now notice the order here. Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. It's not after the Spirit is sent that you become sons, but because ye are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit. That Spirit reveals what we didn't otherwise know. It reveals what Christ has accomplished, otherwise we wouldn't have known it. We wouldn't have known it. And that's, that's the beauty of what we see here. So the, the victory of the woman's seed over the serpent, that's what we see. That's what this is all about. If, if you can't understand anything else in Revelation 12, just remember that simple explanation, and you can't go wrong. So coming back to Revelation 12, here we have this third symbolic picture of what Christ's seed, the redeemed, blood-bought church, can expect from the enmity of the serpent. We saw the first picture back in Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6, where, we, where the woman, the child, and the dragon were first presented. All right? There's a, there's a re, there's a, uh, an order to, to what we're reading here. The second picture we saw last time with the defeat of the dragon, of Satan, by Michael. And you remember, I, I went to some length to explain uh, that the, the, the Michael here is not an angelic being, uh, Michael, by name, means uh, uh, is, is reference to even with God, like God. That's what Michael means, like God. Uh, John 1 spoke of that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a, it's a, it's a, a name that, if you could see it in the original, shouldn't be a cap, it shouldn't be a prone, it shouldn't be a proper noun. It should be a description. There was war in heaven, and one like God and his angels would be a way to, well, who's like God? 
none other than Christ himself, and his angels against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Now we know that if this were just merely an angel, Satan could prevail, but not against Christ. Not against Christ. And so that second picture we saw the last time was the defeat of the dragon by Christ, but how? Through his shed blood. We can't get away from the cross. Dear friends, we, we were talking about this with the men in a study a little while ago, how every attribute of God is tied to the holiness of God. But we also add to that the holiness of God is manifest in the death of his son. That's where we see the, the holiness of God. We can see it in his love. We can see it in his mercy. We can see it in his justice. But his holiness, if you want an understanding of his holiness, look what he did to his son. It's manifest in the cross. But through that cross, you see in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word, and I, uh, as I said, you could put a capital there under word. That's Christ. By Christ, by the word of their testimony. The one who is the object of their testimony. The object of faith is Christ. And they love not their lives unto death. All right? Now here... In verse 13 then, that being so, it says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast out unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. When was, how was Satan cast out? When was he cast out? All right? These are important uh, matters to consider. Well, we do, we do know from last time in verse 10, if you go back to verse 10, for him to be cast out, it explains in one sense there, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And that's what I endeavored to show you last time, that because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is cast out in that he has no ground before God with which to accuse justly anyone for whom Christ has died. He can accuse them, and he endeavors to do so. But God won't change his mind. Why? Because of that shed blood. There's justice satisfied. It's, it's, it's settled. He'll be cast out of God's presence every time. Now as we look at it from our side, we can say, well, he, he has reason. God would be just to, uh, to condemn me for that. That's how we reason. But in one sense, no, God wouldn't. Because there's no double jeopardy. <laughs> there's no double jeopardy. If Christ died for me, my sin has been put away. In God's book, I stand acquitted. No matter what accusation men might bring, or, or Satan bring against me, I stand acquitted before a holy God because Christ has paid the debt. That's, that's how God sees it. He is my righteousness. It's not anything in me. It's what has been put to my account by the Lord, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that sense in which Satan has, has been cast out. But also, come back here to John chapter 14. I believe this lays it out pretty plainly. Look in John chapter 14. In verse 30 to begin with. You know, Satan, you say, well, why is Satan so, so angered with uh, the Lord's people? Because as, as we read here 
uh, in Revelation 12, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Well, he, it's because he can't get his hands on Christ. He had his shot at Christ, if you will. When, when Christ came as a babe there in the womb, he, he had his shot at him through Herod, trying to kill every, every baby two years and under. He had his shot in, that, in, the, in the wilderness, in that temptation. He had his shot at him through, through uh, Judas Iscariot. It says, and Satan filled Judas's heart to go out and betray him. These were all attacks of this enemy against Christ, and yet Christ has risen victorious and ascended, and, and ascended on high and is seated in the heavenlies. So what's he going to attack? Well, his people. His people. But here we see our victory. This is what I want you to see. Our victory is because of Christ's victory. If we're in him, if he's our representative, there is no way that Satan can, can destroy us and bring us down. It says here in John 14, it was true when Christ was even on this earth, he told his disciples, verse 30, John 14, 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. He's talking about that hour of darkness that he would face in, in soon suffering to die. A darkness that we can't understand for Christ to bear the sin of his people. But he says, and hath nothing in me. Hath nothing in me. Dear friends, I'm going to tell you this. If you are in Christ, and Christ died for you, Satan has nothing in you either. Has nothing in you either. Quit looking in here. You look to Christ. Because the best thing he's going to do is try to get you to look in here and find something in you to bring you down or to accuse you or to make you think less of God's love or of what Christ accomplished. Don't look there. He has nothing in you because he had nothing in your representative, in your shepherd. You see that? And then over here in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. As Christ again was preparing to the, his disciples for his death, he told them in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. Now when he said that I go away, he's not talking about his ascension. He's on the eve of his death. He's talking about, he's saying to his disciples, as much as you have enjoyed this walk with me in this life, and I'm sure they did. He ate with them, he slept with them, they, they spent these three and a half years together, but he said, it is expedient for you that I go away, that I die. For if I go not away, the comforter will not, will not uh, come unto you. There can be no comfort for a child of God apart from the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit does not reveal himself in a sinner apart from revealing the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the comforter. That's why he's called the advocate. He said, but if I depart, in other words, if I accomplish this death for which I came into this world, I will send him unto you. There again, I would show you the order. Which is first? The death of Christ. Then what? The sending of the Spirit. You see that? It's, it's, it's justification, then regeneration. That, the, the order is important. The Spirit can't reveal what has not yet been accomplished. It wasn't that the Spirit wasn't in the world. The Spirit was. The Spirit was in them. 
But the Spirit's purpose for being there as the comforter in revealing Christ had to be accomplished, first of all, by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says here in verse 8, when he is come, when the Spirit is come, and he's talking about after he's died and risen, ascended on high, that Spirit was poured out upon all flesh, he will reprove the world of sin. Now I've mentioned this to you before. There's two different uh, works of the Spirit here. Here it is toward the unbelieving. It's, it's reproving the world. In other words, convicting them of sin uh, and of righteousness and of judgment. And then it says of sin, look at here, because they believe not on me. It's talking about people who will never believe. They stand convicted, just like in a court of law, the sentence read against them because they believe not. They never will. They can shrug off the work of Christ. They can go their way like they want to, but it's still, they stand convicted. They stand condemned. All right? The spirits coming into the world is a condemnation against that. And then it says, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. How do they stand convicted of righteousness? Well, it's because they're looking to their own and not to that righteousness that he established and that he fulfilled and accomplished and that God accepted and imputed the account of his people. Christ's work's done. It says, I go to my Father, you see me no more. There's no more work of righteousness to be done in order to salvation. And when preachers keep trying to preach up Christ's righteousness plus a righteousness that you have to, to, to uh, contribute in, they've never understood the true righteousness of God. They're yet blind. All right? And that's, that's that conviction. The Spirit's coming in the world Back there in the day of Pentecost, just that one event is a testimony against any who seek another way of righteousness. Because Christ said, His coming is proof that I've already finished it. His coming is proof I've already finished it. And then it says of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. See, there's people still thinking that somehow they've got to do hand-to-hand -hand combat with Satan in order to make it through. The victory's ours. And I heard a man say that this week. You know, it's through the blood of Christ, but we still have to do combat. No, we don't. No, we don't. Of judgment, because the prince of this world, look at it in verse 12, is judged. He's already cast out. All right? You notice here, even in Revelation 12, it's not, it's not this remnant standing and fighting. It's fleeing. <laughs> fleeing into the wilderness, fleeing to that appointed place, into her place. Dear friends, what's our appointed place in this wilderness of life? Isn't it Christ? Isn't that in the refuge, his cross? It always has been, never will be. That's our only place. Of, it's not standing and fighting the enemy. It's fleeing to Christ, to that appointed place. Just like in the Old Testament, there was an appointed place for worship. It involved an altar, involved sacrifice. We have an altar. We have a sacrifice. And that's our appointed place of, of refuge, uh, the mercy seat. All right? I want you to see that. Uh, that's, that's how the world stands condemned, by not bowing to what, is, what is, has been revealed and what, what has been accomplished. But look at verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you 
There's a difference, isn't there? Between verse 8, when he's come, he'll reprove the world. Reprove means to condemn the world. But when he's come, he'll guide you, the Lord's people, into all truth. All truth. Not, not new truth, but all truth in the sense of all that pertains to Christ. All that pertains to what he accomplished for our salvation. All that pertains to our justification before God in him alone. In all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he, will, he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. All right, so that's the foundation that we see here in uh, Revelation 12, chapter 12. Let me just sum this up then, coming back here just for a few moments, just to point out a, a few matters here. The first thing that I'd have you to note with regard to this conflict between the seed of the woman and the, and the seed of the serpent is that the Lord provided wings of eagles for this woman. You can see there in uh, Revelation 12 and verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. <laughs> Again, if you're looking at this in a literal sense, you know, is, is everybody going to sprout these wings and fly? No, it's symbolic language. It's symbolic language. It's based upon the Old Testament. If you look over in Exodus chapter 19, what it's, what it's saying is the Lord will always, always, always preserve and keep those that Christ has redeemed, those that he's chosen in grace and those that, that Christ has redeemed. We have an example of this in... Uh, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4. See what the Lord said to, Egypt, uh, to Israel? Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. How did he do it? Through the Passover lamb. Drew them out. It was by, the, it was by that lamb, that Passover lamb. And we're studying this in our Bible lesson, aren't we? Uh, we're, we're coming up to it. How, how God... Brought those plagues upon Egypt, but delivered out his own, own people uh, through the blood of the Lamb. That's symbolic. That's, that's, that's a type of how God has purposed to save his people. It's through the blood of the Lamb. And those are, those are the wings of eagles that, that bring us to safety every time. It's, it's what Christ has accomplished. You can look in Isaiah chapter 40. Look in Isaiah chapter 40. And verse 31, of course, Isaiah 40 starts with that, that great declaration, doesn't it? Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. That's really what, it, it parallels what we're seeing in Revelation 12. The, the, the warfare was accomplished already by the blood of the Lamb. So comfort ye, my people. Will God keep his own? Absolutely. Is there going to be one for whom Christ has died that will perish? Absolutely not. You see. That's our, those, are, those are the wings that carry us. In Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. What is it to wait, wait upon the Lord? It's just to cast yourself completely upon his mercy and upon his grace. Quit trying to work it out yourself. <laughs> Rest. Rest. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. This isn't something you do. It's done for you. As you rest in him, the Lord caused you to mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. And you'll walk and not faint. You know how, it, how, it, how the progression of verse 31 is an interesting progression. And, and those of us that are aging a little bit, we can, we can understand that. When the Lord first taught us, we were just flying like eagles, weren't we? <laughs> I, I can remember just thinking, you know, there's, there's nothing like this. They mount up with wings as eagles. And then what? You, get to, you, you go from flying to what? Running. You've got to land sometime. So you hit the ground, and it says, and they shall run and not be weary. So you think, okay, the wings are gone, but I'm still running. But look at here. And then they shall walk. After a while, you just run out of gas. <laughs> it's a progression downward, isn't it? It's going from flying to running to walking, to, the, to crawling, to the grave. If, the, if, there, if it was anything dependent upon this flesh, there'd be no hope. But in all of it, you see the promise. You'll not be weary, and you'll not faint. Why? Because it's the Lord himself keeping you. That's, that's a blessed, blessed truth there. So I see here in, this, in Revelation 12, uh, this picture that Satan having failed to defeat Christ, continues his attack upon the church and he directs his fury against the church because the church has been brought forth from Christ. It's all about Christ. That's his enemy. Now, we're going to see a little bit later on in Revelation 20. And that's why I've been, as we go along, I keep telling you, you know, this, there's symbolic language. When we get to Revelation 20, that whole chapter that some have interpreted to be some earthly uh, kingdom or millennium that's going to be coming. When we read that in light of what we've just read here, we understand that uh, this has to do with this conflict that's going on right now. It's now that Christ reigns and rules, and now he is protecting his people, even through the worst that <coughs> Satan has to bring. One other thing that I want to underscore, and then I'll stop here, in verse 15. The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood. What does water as a flood represent in Scripture? Doesn't it reflect uh, uh, anything that's designed to kill and to drown? That's what a flood does. It destroys. If you look back uh, in your Scriptures to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 29. Satan continues to find ways to destroy the church. And that could be as a whole, but particularly individually. Do not be surprised if affliction and trouble and tribulation come as you look to Christ. You know, if, if you're the Lord, you understand what I mean. As, as he caused you to look to him, always, there's doubts within and without. Doesn't, doesn't affliction come in like a flood? That's, that's the sense here of water coming out of Satan's mouth and, and seeking to, to uh, destroy. And, it, and, and the Lord spoke of it here in Isaiah 59, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord, fear in the sense of, of true reverence, uh, from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And look at here. When the enemy shall come in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. <laughs> What's that standard? That's Christ. Christ said, Now, if I be lifted up, 
I'll draw all men unto myself. Satan cannot stop God from saving his people because he's already done it. He's already done it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, as you look back over the history of the church, Satan has used many means. A lot of times we think of persecution. That's one way, but he's also used delusions. He's also used uh, religious isms. <laughs> so many different types of isms. Uh, he's used philosophical falsehoods. He's used uh, political utopias and different dogmas that have come up and would have surrounded and drowned the church. Now, it has affected the organized church, but I'll tell you this, it hadn't affected the true people of God because the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. And what does the Spirit of the Lord cause him to do? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Well, there's a lot more here that could be said, but I'm going to stop there. It says the dragon was wroth, in verse 17, with the woman. You can understand that. There's no, there's no changing Satan. He is who he is. And he's angry. And he goes to war against the remnant of her seed. We can expect that until our dying day. But that seed are those that keep the commandments of God. What are the commandments of God? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. That's, that's, that's what, it's the same thing. It's, it's repentance from dead works and resting in the work that the Lord Jesus Christ alone has accomplished and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. How do we have it? Well, in this word, but we also have it in the heart being revealed by the, the Spirit of God. Oh, may the Lord bless that to our comfort.